0: love, social convention, gender roles, and religion. Charlotte Bronte's most famous novel challenges ideas on all these topics, and we are here to discuss it. I'm Charlene.
1: And I'm Mike.
0: And this is Jane Eyre Files. Chapter 25. Forget Visionary Woe. Hello, husband.
1: Hello, little nervous subject.
0: <laughs> well, I can see that. Yeah, I could be pretty nervous sometimes. Anxious. Anxious. That's another word. Impatient.
1: For. Yeah. There were a couple <laughs> of other other cute little pet names this chapter. Mm-hmm. I saw a stray lamb.
0: Oh yeah, that's a good one. And
1: I did like one where I believe Rochester refers to Jane as my treasure.
0: Oh yeah, that's it, very sweet.
1: But I was like, eh.
0: <laughs> enough <laughs> with the sweet. Maybe,
1: maybe I shouldn't tell you what I didn't choose so that we can just enjoy <laughs> the one that I did.
0: I, can, I judge your choice now. <laughs>
1: yeah. This is a this is a, this is a it's a fun chapter. It's kind of short, very yes. dialogue heavy. So that, I hope this episode we've got enough meat on it. But
0: yeah, we'll little, little deep dive and talk about. All the stuff that happens in this chapter. Let's start with the Sparknotes summary of chapter 25. The night before her wedding, Jane waits for Rochester, who has left Thornfield for the evening. She grows restless and takes a walk in the orchard where she sees the now split chestnut tree. When Rochester arrives, Jane tells him about strange events that have occurred in his absence. The preceding evening, Jane's wedding dress arrived and underneath it was an expensive veil, Rochester's wedding gift to Jane. In the night, Jane had a strange dream in which a little child cried in her arms as Jane tried to make her way toward Rochester on a long, winding road. Rochester dismisses the dream as insignificant, but then she tells him about a second dream. This time, Jane loses her balance and the child falls from her knee. The dream was so disturbing that it roused Jane from her sleep and she perceived a form rustling in her closet. It turned out to be a strange, savage-looking woman who took Jane's veil and tore it in two. Rochester tells her that the woman must have been Grace Poole and that what she experienced was really half dream, half reality. He tells her that he will give her a full explanation of events after they have been married for one year and one day. Jane sleeps with Adele for the evening and cries because she will soon have to leave the sleeping girl.
1: What a bizarre series of events.
0: Uh, yes, and thanks to Sparknotes Spark for that very detailed description. Just uh, detailing every dream, too. That's yeah, yeah.
1: I, I feel like when I was reading it I know there were some dreams to deal with but I was like oh is that specifically what happened? <laughs> Maybe I already had already forgotten about some of the dreams because I was too busy thinking about all the conversation that the two of them have through the second mm-hmm. half of the chapter yeah.
0: Yeah and and you know in this chapter we get a glimpse of Jane and Rochester as a couple which I really love cuz you see that they're at ease with each other and they're teasing and loving and it's really sweet.
1: Yeah, I mean it doesn't seem like it's going to be a very long courtship, right?
0: Well, it's only a month, right? The right. engagement.
1: Yeah. He's like, we got to hurry up and get married, and we're going to leave the country. Mm-hmm. Again, hmm, he's hiding something.
0: <laughs> Moving it, too quickly?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, it it seems like, I mean, I guess in books like these, the idea is, you know, it's a will they, won't they kind of a thing, right? You build up to, to be together, mm-hmm. and then once they get together, then what? And I feel like this one is. They've gotten together and now it's like they're going to jump to the wedding and it's like you kind of maybe you want some more scenes of them together right before they
0: would have enjoyed a little bit more engagement stuff. I mean, another author could have worked in some sort of troubles to arise between them because, you know, now they're they're engaged. Maybe they they Getting to know each other more, or something, but that's not the point of the story, I guess. Now
1: it's time to reinsert the mystery, right? Yeah. The gothic elements and stuff, but I did like that. I do believe there's references to the term Jane Rochester. Oh yeah. In this chapter, so you don't really see. You don't that think of her often. as Jane
0: Rochester. You think of her as Jane Eyre. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> Look at her taking his taking her man's name.
0: Oh. <laughs> wow, it's a different time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's like for a couple of chapters we have been distracted from this gothic mystery brewing at thornfield but now we're put right back into it with this the the reader gets this sense of anxiety that pervades in this chapter and i find it interesting because charlotte bronte does it in multiple ways mm-hmm. so you know i thought we'll just go through these ways that that charlotte bronte puts the sense of foreboding into this chapter um in the beginning of the, of the chapter jane is anxious about her life as a, a wife to rochester she can't quite believe that this will happen to her which, you know, that's, I think that's pretty unique in a romance to think of the heroine a little bit nervous and unbelieving that Rochester would marry her.
1: Yeah, and I think there's even a moment, I mean, it's clearly, it's, I'm just, she's having wedding jitters, mm-hmm. right? And there's even a quote, which I'll pull from the book here, where um, he's asking her about about how she couldn't eat and the prospects of leaving is that why? Is that what's go, moving to London? Is that what's taking away your appetite? And she says, "quote I cannot see my prospects clearly tonight, sir, and I hardly know what thoughts I have in my head. Everything in life seems unreal." End quote.
0: Yeah, it's not quite what you would imagine of like a happy woman who's going to get married. This, this, these wedding jitters, as you said, it's just it's kind of extreme.
1: Well, it's also an eighteen-year-old, right? So it's like yeah. this idea maybe she if it, if she had dated or. <laughs> ever been possibly engaged or broken off in the engagement where yeah. I could... I imagine the first time, especially at that age, mm-hmm. you know, when you're proposed to, it must be a little... Yeah, over, kind of overwhelming. Right. You know? Especially yeah. if you if you have this image in your head about being swept away and or swept off, I should say.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, or I wonder, you know, thinking of it from Jane's point of view, it's like she would, she would never have expected this to happen to her. She probably wouldn't... Maybe she didn't expect to ever get married. It should just be mm. a teacher or you know, some kind of low level job and she'll live her life out.
1: Yeah. Have a relationship with God. Yeah. You know.
0: Marry a pastor. There we go.
1: Oh, there you go. Learn <laughs> Hindustani. Oh, wait, sorry. For, huh? For a preview. <laughs> Why would she do that? Yeah. But I mean, this this idea of, yeah, getting taking a governess job and getting married to her boss, mm-hmm. who's twice her age.
0: Yeah. That, that's something that she would have dreamed about as a little girl low Especially probably.
1: since he seems to, he may not be rich, but he seems to have... He seems to be, seems to be okay. Yeah, he's doing all, he's doing all right for himself. Yeah. Yeah. And then even yeah. the weather is sort of like, I kind of adds to the anxiety, no? Yeah,
0: Charlotte Bronte makes sure, again, to have nature mirror the actions of the story where the there's just, but instead of like a really big storm, it's kind of like, it's kind of being held back. It's just windy and rainy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's also a fun part of this, of this sense of unease that's pervading, you know? More
1: foreshadowing, perhaps. I just feel like I didn't really notice the weather until Spark Notes called it out. Oh, really? <laughs> where they mentioned how, like, oh, the lightning struck a tree. What does that oh, mean? yeah, yeah. And then I felt like now I was noticing it more. When I was reading this chapter, I'm like, wow, Charlotte's really taking time to describe the right, weather. Right, You know? Yes.
0: And that with Rochester being away, this makes Jane a little more nervous because he's out in this inclement weather. So she doesn't know maybe he's going to get hurt out there. I okay. feel like a lot of her unease is kind of thinking that this is not going to happen that this wedding is not going to happen. Like Rochester is going to something to happen to Rochester. Basically he's going to leave mm-hmm. her, uh, or he's going to get into an accident and you know, all her hopes and dreams are just going to be gone.
1: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And that, and maybe that's, like I said, all of the anxiety and nervous tension that she has inside of her is sort of like what's going on outside as well. Hey, mm-hmm. here's a 50 cent word for you. A maelstrom <laughs> of, T- tempest tempestuous weather right outside yeah yeah because she does kind of like I said she does make it a point to 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 bring it up I love a good storm as much as anybody we don't get it that many of them here in California. Southern California nope. but I, I I'm one of those people that actually likes them I don't feel like you know the negative connotations that usually get with them I had a I've had fr- I have friends who live in Portland Oregon and whenever I'd visit them it always seemed to rain when you're up there <laughs> but I always have a great time because at the same time it's always very green you know, oh, yeah, it, it yeah. does. April Pretty showers mean May flowers, yeah. right? And these dreams weigh on your spirits now, Jane. Now I am with you, little nervous subject. Forget visionary woe, think only of real happiness. Do you love me, Jane? Repeat that you do.
0: I do, I do with my whole heart.
1: Look wicked, Jane. Coin one of your wild, shy, provoking smiles. Tease me, vex me as you have these last weeks. Tell me you hate me do anything but move me
0: i will tease you and vex you sir to your heart's content when i finish my tale
1: i thought you told me all i thought i'd learned the source of your melancholy in a dream there's more i'll not believe it i warn you of incredulity beforehand
0: it's it's interesting that charlotte bronte is coming up with her own sort of dream analysis right because mm-hmm. she you know she's foreshadowing something that's going to come so like what what kind of ev- Visions might Jane have that would foreshadow the uh, heartache or the separation that might be coming.
1: Yeah, definitely. Dream. I all. I, I. think I put it in my notes when I was when I was reading it. I just wrote dream analysis for days because <laughs> it's kind of like just like the weather where Charlotte goes a little bit more in depth than you're expecting. Now again, right. she's throughout this whole book. She does a really great job of taking her time to. So, like I said, I don't want to say vivid again, but just very um, accurate descriptions down to every minute detail. And so when she starts talking about the weather and you start wondering, okay, is it? Is there more to it? Is is she trying to draw the parallels? Because she, she is taking a lot of time with the weather. And then all of a sudden in this chapter, we get just detailed descriptions of these yeah. dreams and you find yourself okay wh- wait what why, why not, is she making it a point to, to bring these up it's yeah. not as
0: important to plot but it does set up the atmosphere really well so that as a reader then you kind of feel what jane's feeling because she's sharing these details and this dream that she has is kind of a callback to chapter 21 when she john reed passed away and and robert comes to get her she says Uh, that she's been having some dreams of children and that, quote, to dream of children was a sure sign of trouble either to oneself or one's kin. Mm -hmm. So then now she's had two dreams of children. Ooh, we already know that her previous dream of child had uh, bad consequences for the Reed family. Now what's going to happen in the next chapters?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because she didn't make it. I said she made it a point that both the dreams had children in them. Yeah. After she just told you what's supposed to happen if you dream of kids.
0: Yeah, you know, exactly. Because, I mean, it's, it's bad enough like to dream of, like, Mr. Rochester running or riding away from her and she can't reach him. Mm. But she also has a child with her. Like, where did yeah, that yeah. come from? Um,
1: yeah. I, I'm not trying to be critical of, of Charlotte here, but it, it comes. I think it's a little thick. It comes on a little, heavy, <laughs> little heavy-handed, little heavy right? Where you literally just said a few chapters ago, mm-hmm. this isn't a good thing. Yeah. And then you live it out.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, she wants to make sure it's clear to the reader something is going to happen.
1: And something sure does happen what what is this ghostly figure that's gonna just appear in the closet
0: I mean that's yeah out of all the things that have been happening in this in this book that are kind of weird you know okay fire someone sets a fire someone gets uh stabbed Mr Mason gets stabbed uh attacked in the night now Jane standard, is actually standard stuff I mean it's it's you know any explanation can you can talk that away but Jane actually sees something now or does she I mean, she, she says that she wakes in the middle of the night to a woman tearing her veil. And the way that she describes this woman, she says that it's not like anybody that she knows who's at Thornfield, because mm-hmm. this woman has a discolored face, a savage face with red eyes and fearful blackened inflation of the lineaments, a purplish face with heavy black eyebrows. So that's, uh, uh. and she likens it to a vampire. So that's. a a very supernatural element coming into play again and and at such an important moment in Jane's life where she's going to get married Mm. and that now it's like what what is this
1: (laughs) but if it's supernatural could it also be from another realm could it also be a figment of her imagination because (laughs) as you're reading it you can't explain it Mm -hmm. and so you start to think like yeah she's had visions She was in the red room back in chapter two and had visions. And
0: and that, and that, so what, so are you saying that you think that... I'm gaslighting you. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) You Mr. Rochester? (laughs)
1: That's that's what I'm saying. (laughs) But I'm trying to explain it away. If I didn't have a secret to hide, Mm -hmm. how how would it work? And how would she be feeling? Like I said, is it just another, is it just something where you could say, we talked about the wedding jitters a minute ago Mm -hmm. where having trouble sleeping and yeah. then maybe she's a little bit more tired and has a tendency to see something that's not there
0: yeah okay well thank you for that mr rochester <laughs> uh, <laughs> nothing to be afraid of <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, for 25 chapters this book has set up jane as the reliable narrator where we know that she has a strong moral compass and she's very observant so she can read people well and she seems really sensitive to people uh possibly also augmented by the fact that she has these prophetic dreams Mm -hmm. but in this chapter she has two prophetic dreams or possibly prophetic dreams that are very weird and kind of unsettling Mm -hmm. do you think that takes away from jane being a reliable narrator
1: I feel like the reader has grown to trust Jane. Mm-hmm. But again, if she's got having all these issues and she's more nervous about her wedding and she's got two very somewhat bizarre dreams, right. maybe we are supposed to side with Rochester here and see that maybe this this third dream, if you will, and I use air quotes, you can't see me, I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> that someone's in the room. Yeah, maybe that, that kind of you kind of question the reliability of, of Jane. Of Jane's yeah. story, of Jane telling her story, because, you know, maybe she didn't, maybe she wasn't seeing straight, like Rochester said. It could yeah. be gaslighting, but it's just, it's...
0: <laughs> well, I think, I think that's very clever, Charlotte Bronte, to kind of set that up, because, you know, we're, we're supposed to rely on Jane as a narrator, and the fact that now she needs to kind of pull that back, kind of, so, so we can kind of, you know the wool over the reader's eyes so we're they're not as sus- suspecting that something big is going to happen mm-hmm. now Rochester can come in and make these explanations which you know maybe might be true it sounds a little glib I don't know if you if you remember when he first read the chapter did you believe him
1: well it's it's really bizarre you know because he's very you know dismissive mm-hmm. very condescending he's I mean what is yeah. he hiding Charlene? I mean he's
0: almost immediately trying to uh, dismiss what she says and yeah. say that oh it's it's nothing it's, you know it was a dream until she he hears oh the 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 veil was actually torn yeah. yeah so
1: it's easy to try to come up with some sort of explanation especially with the way the dreams that she's having mm-hmm. but then what really threw me off this is I mean just now and also the first time I read it is you know you want to believe you want to. Believe his theories.
0: Yeah. Right? Because you want to trust Rochester. You want to trust Like Jane trusts Rochester. Yeah.
1: And so when the veil's torn, then maybe you expect him to say, oh, okay, it's Grace. It's somebody yeah. else. It's, it's something like this. But then he comes up with this very bizarre statement where he says, I'll tell you in a year and a day. <laughs> And that's where it's like, okay, now what's really going on? That's, yeah. That didn't make any sense. Where Jane
0: to me. should have really pushed and been like, uh, no, I think we're getting married tomorrow. So you should tell me now. Yeah.
1: And I was do you know what is the significance of that? Like, what did the Bronte scholars have said over the years? Like, why did he say <laughs> a year and a day? What's, what, 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 is there some sort of statute of limitations? That he, I after think a year it expires. Yeah, I
0: think uh, uh, maybe according to law at that time, a year and a day was like the statute of Limitations where something was officially legal if it's been a year and a day or something. Uh-huh, so, okay. you know, if Winnie gets married to Jane and it's been a year and a day, she can't do much, yeah. maybe.
1: All bets are off. Yeah. There's nothing she can do about it. And she's locked into this marriage with this mysterious guy who's clearly got something up his something sleeve. Something hidden, yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I mentioned before that Jane likens the appearance of this strange woman in a room um, to a vampire, and I just wanted to point out that this is another hallmark of the Gothic stories where uh, the supernatural event uh, is explained, explained supernatural, or something odd or creepy uh, turns out to have a scientific or rational cause. Of course, we don't quite know what that cause is right now, mm. but we will find out that this is not Supernatural occurrence.
1: Now, having said that, when it comes to vampires, do you think Dracula is a gothic story?
0: Yes, yes, yeah, very mm-hmm. much
1: so. And we're at something where the characters in that story are trying to explain away some of the bizarre behavior. Yeah, right? yeah,
0: definitely. Because um when Jonathan Harker comes to the castle and he's it meets Dracula for the first time, and he's a little bit confused about you know why is he keep such a, a place and everyone's so afraid of him and the town and you know he's just he's just oh it's just eccentricities you know huh. it's, he's just a a foreign man it's fine yeah
1: i mean he wakes up the next morning and he's got two teeth marks in his neck he's just <laughs> that's, that's I standard
0: mean, it's actually a little bit different since the explained supernatural means that there's something that seems supernatural but it's not whereas dracula hmm. is actual supernatural and then they're trying to rationalize it away, but oh, okay. it's uh it's not. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, and like I said, in this chapter, Rochester's trying to explain away something that
0: mm-hmm. could
1: be supernatural, if it's yeah. if it's a ghost or not.
0: Yeah, and I, but then Jane Eyre is, is very grounded in realism. So ultimately, you know, all these all these things that have happened, you know, the fire and the stabbing, you know, that that also is explained. Yeah. So we, we don't have to we don't think of this as sort of ghost story book but it has these ghost story vibes yeah
1: and as a reader it it keeps you that much more intrigued right yeah yeah for sure like i said i think i've mentioned it enough times on this show but i thought going in when i read this it was going to be this one of this traditional (laughs) uptight stiff upper lip uh british gentleman just very straightforward romance yeah yeah and i like that there were these elements of that we joke about the the uh the white gown running from the castle Mm-hmm. You know, but it yeah, makes
0: it more entertaining. Yeah.
1: And, and I think and in a, in a way, it also makes it more cinematic, which is what I always mm-hmm. like. That's what the adaptations of this story are always are always so much more. I don't know. Enthralling than mm-hmm. an adaptation of, a, of like I said, Jane Austen. I hate to keep picking on Jane Austen, but <laughs> or your your what's your Netflix show? Bridgerton.
0: Oh, you know, hey, don't talk smack about Bridgerton. I'm not
1: talking smack. I'm just saying like that <laughs> like more that traditional romance where if it's like. If it's if they have those elements of the supernatural, I don't know. It 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 makes it appeal to a wider uh, audience, I guess. That's like, true. Like me, like who would never have read a Charlotte Bronte book before I met you. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. And wound up
1: thoroughly enjoying the book when I finished it. Yeah. Mm. So.
0: And uh, thoroughly enjoying it the second time around. Yeah.
1: Thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> yeah. Now that I know now that I know how it ends, I start to I, I, I see the little little subtle touches, the little Easter eggs as right. we go through. Yeah. And it, yeah. it starts to it makes more sense and it makes me wonder like how what did I think the first time I saw or I read it? It's been Five years. I don't quite remember. Yeah, I Must yeah.
0: be hard. Well, we have to all thank the art of Charlotte Bronte and how she's crafting this story. Makes it. That's why we're discussing it all these years. Uh-huh. Two hundred years.
1: Oh well, yeah, exactly. And then the other interesting context we have from this chapter. I was going to ask you is you start to see the the, the term hypochondria used, and I'm wondering how <laughs> did that was that in Victorian era is it the same as it is now, or was it a completely different thing back then?
0: Well, it was actually a completely different thing, because I think that we today know hypochondria as the fear that you have this illness, some serious illness, but in the Victorian area, hypochondria was more thought of as a psychological or nervous condition where you know, your fears and anxieties are exaggerated and they, and they weigh on you, um, but you know, often those fears are groundless or unreasonable.
1: Yeah, and that's the case, and that's that's definitely a good use of the word for this chapter when it comes to Jane.
0: Yeah, for sure. You yeah, know,
1: I've mentioned before, and I, I may have told you this when we first got together, that mm-hmm. you married a hypochondriac. <laughs> you I, say
0: that, but I, I don't know. That, I feel like that a hypochondriac is someone who thinks that they're ill when they're not. Where yeah. sometimes you have some genuine complaints.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that actually wound up the, yeah, oh, I they... need to have surgical procedures yes. to, to fix. But no, I still, but I do have a lot of moments because I, I do have minor medical maladies mm-hmm. that doctors have either not been able to explain or they just go, it's fine, you're okay, just live oh, with it. Yeah. And I have to live with it, whether it be issues with my sinuses or my ears. And I, I joked about the fact that for years I didn't have medical insurance. Mm-hmm. And then when I first got a job, I mean, it had been like 10 years of working in Los Angeles without medical insurance. When I finally got it, it was like, oh, I got a cough. I'm going to the doctor. Oh, I got a headache. I'm going to the doctor. Mm -hmm. I've made several trips to ERs. And what I always like to say is there was one uh, time I talked to a doctor and I said, you must think the worst of me or my, you know, my hypochondriac. And he said, you're not a hypochondriac, but he said, we, we, we have a term for people like you. Mm-hmm. He said, we, we call them oversubscribers.
0: Oh. <laughs> they have good
1: insurance and they're just like, well, if it's covered, it, I got small co-pays.
0: Mm-hmm. If I've got a
1: problem, I'll deal with it. And I, you know, you do not suffer from the same thing that I do. We talk about the term anxiety. I have had anxi- full-blown anxiety attacks yeah. and I have gone to, I went to the emergency room one time for one. And then when they told me what it was, I, on my way out, I said, I apologize to the nurses for making them take care of me. And I just said, Mm -hmm. I feel so embarrassed that it was nothing but an anxiety attack. And the nurse said, no, no, no. You thought there was a problem. You assessed the risk and Mm -hmm. you brought yourself in to get treated for it. So that's better that you did in case it had been something bad.
0: Unfortunately, Charlotte Bronte was not able to visit the hospital when she had these issues. I I wonder if she also had these panic attacks because Elizabeth Gaskell said in her biography that, Charlotte suffered from hypochondria from time to time. And and she described when Charlotte was in Brussels, where she was teaching with M. M M Heger. Heger. And Elizabeth Gaskell says, whatever had been disagreeable or obnoxious to her during the day was presented when it was over with exaggerated vividness to her disordered fancy. In the dead of night, lying away at the end of the long deserted dormitory, in the vast and silent house, every fear respecting those whom she loved, and who were so far off in another country, became a terrible reality, oppressing her and choking up the very lifeblood in her heart. Does it sound like a little bit of a panic attack? Yeah, it does
1: kind of sound like a panic attack. And I wonder now, what time would she have been in Brussels in her her lifespan?
0: Oh, I think she would have been in her late 20s.
1: Okay. Yeah, and I wonder if there was a lot of, obviously a lot of sickness going around back then as well. I think when you and I were at the Bronte Parsonage, there was a story about how a lot of people in that area were getting sick, and they found out that it was like, was it rainwater was going through the graves? Yeah, and it was poisoning the water. it was the poisoning water. the water, right? Yeah. So I could see where if you you'd have a cough and you'd be like, oh, yeah. what, what she, is it? Yeah. She could
0: see how easily and how quickly the the people around her can die. Like you know, her older her two older sisters who died from tuberculosis, mm-hmm. and also her mom passed away yeah. um, when Charlotte Bronte was fairly young. So she mm-hmm. knows how quickly and how quickly people can die from these things.
1: That would be enough to give you. Victorian era hypochondria, yeah. Whether it would be unfounded or not, it was just yeah. you know. I, I can only imagine. It's not, this is coming from somebody who does sometimes think, oh, every time I get a pain in my head, oh, did something happen? Oh, you know, and yeah. so you, I can imagine back then if it would, when you know people who have, there was no, it wasn't like there was an age range for certain afflictions, mm-hmm. right? It could just happen to anybody because of, like you said, whether it be the water treatment or food preparation or something like that. So
0: yeah, disease just spread very quickly back then.
1: Yeah. So I'm sure there were probably more, there might've might been more panic attacks than we ever would know about. But people, yeah. people just know what to call them. They had a, another term for it back then, the shakes or something like that, <laughs> you know?
0: It was, uh, send that woman to an asylum. She's crazy. That's
1: right. <laughs> Get the leeches.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, Charlene, you know what time it is?
0: Is it time for a surprise for our, re- our listeners? Well,
1: yes, it is. is. we and We found yet another audition tape from... The 1943 wow. adaptation of Jane Eyre.
0: That's just a treasure trove. That yeah. film. They they must have ha- like had a casting call for just for every eligible man to come in, and try out as Roger.
1: That was a great time, you know, to be in the Hollywood. It was a studio system, so these people yeah. were all under contract.
0: You think they were being loaned out in between studios? Yeah,
1: possibly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was a very common thing as well. And so 20th Century Fox is doing this adaptation, and they they have so many people to choose from. We yeah. heard from who did we hear? From? We heard from Jimmy Stewart. Yes. We heard from Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck had, had auditioned as well.
0: Yeah. That was and I, we found
1: another one. Would you believe? I mean, more known more for comedies, but he's a very dashing man in, in mm-hmm. his dramatic roles. Oh, Cary Grant also oh. auditioned to be Mister Rochester. That would
0: have been amazing if he got that part. Yeah. I would have, I would have loved that.
1: Part. Yeah, and I was watching this audition tape, and actually, I'm, we're going to play a clip that comes from this chapter. Okay. And I, you know, I got to be honest. I think he might have been pretty good. He would have been more reminiscent of like when I picture Timothy Dalton in the 1983 he's adaptation. Too good looking. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> Cary Grant. What are you yeah. going to do? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so maybe he wasn't quite. That would have been a time where Hollywood studios weren't necessarily being as faithful to the book. They just wanted to get the most dashing leading man and leading woman for these parts. Yeah, make but, it a true
0: romantic tale. Yeah.
1: But I think as we. We'll, we'll put this clip on here now and you can see for yourself. I think Cary Grant might not have been a bad Rochester.
0: All right, let's listen.
1: Oh, oh, thanks for having me, Uh, Robert Stevenson, a big fan of King Solomon's Mines. What's the line right here? All right, right here, let me get my script. Uh, Ready? It's just whenever you're ready? Okay. And your previous dreams, were they real too? Is Thornfield Hall a ruin? Am I severed from you by insuperable obstacles? Am I leaving you without a tear, without a kiss, without a word? That it, that's it. Okay, I guess I'll hear from you later. Oh, and whatever you do, don't get Orson Welles put the part.
0: You know, I really felt something when he was saying that line. You know, I think it uh-huh. just it just it just exuded romance. Oh, I, I it would have been would have been amazing if he he had been Rochester.
1: One of my favorite actors, if not mm-hmm. my favorite actor. And yeah. I love him in these romantic roles because you couldn't you couldn't turn away. No, you know, you really couldn't. I think if he's Rochester, I think. There, it's, it would have been a picture perfect romance. And some of the elements that are about to come up in the foreshadowing in this future chapters, mm-hmm. you know, I think she would have overlooked everything.
0: Oh, yeah. Just she would run have run away with him. She
1: would have been totally <laughs> ready to be gaslit. So, man. We can, oh, one can, one...
0: gaslight. Another movie he could have been in. Oh, <laughs>
1: my God. Who needs Charles Boyer when you got Cary Grant? But it's a shame. Any, it, yeah, if anybody's listening, go watch more Cary Grant movies. He's the best. <laughs> All right. Uh, we always like to wrap up each episode by mentioning a meaningful passage or quote from the chapter so chapter 25 charlene you go first what do you got for us
0: all right so this quote is something that rochester says after um he asks jane to 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 repeat that she loves him which you know i think this is the first time that she said i love you to rochester is it yeah so you know she's 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 a tease she doesn't want to give it all up
1: (laughs) if it was carrie grant she would (laughs)
0: Okay, so Rochester says, quote, I think because you said it with such an earnest religious energy and because your upward gaze at me now is a very sublime of faith, truth, and devotion. It is too much as if some spirit were near me. Look wicked, Jane, as you know well how to look. Coin one of your wild, shy, provoking smiles. Tell me you hate me. Tease me. Vex me. Do anything but move me. I would rather be incensed than saddened. Oh, that's a good yeah and I think that's that's really showing Rochester's vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And you know, and also I like that the fact that he enjoys Jane's teasing and provoking ways, but also I think it shows a little bit of his potential misgivings about what he's about to do, which we can't discuss now because we haven't gotten to it yet. but mm-hmm. you know you you could see that rochester's is not he's not he's a little uneasy
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he's also definitely very afraid that Jane is going to be taken from him.
1: Well, and like you said, you brought it up at the beginning of this episode, it's those playful moments we're finally getting to see in this Mm -hmm. chapter, where I wish we got a little bit more of them, because it's going to take a turn here Mm -hmm. momentarily, and (laughs) so we can kind of sit back and enjoy that that playful joking. Yeah. Tease me, Jane.
0: (laughs) So, Mike, what is your meaningful passage or quote?
1: Just as you did, I'm going to pull a quote from that long conversational dialogue scene that the two of them had, but... My quote comes from Jane, and it's when Jane is kind of addressing the, the time spent away from him mm-hmm. and, and how she was waiting for him to return, and she said, it's, well, it's the middle of a very large paragraph, so I'm just going to pull one little chunk out of it. Jane says, quote, I walked a little while on the pavement after tea, thinking of you, and I beheld you in imagination so near me, I scarcely missed your actual presence. I thought of the life that lay before me, your life, sir, an existence more expansive and stirring than my own, as much more so as the depths of the sea to which the brook runs are than the shallows of its own straight channel. I wondered why moralists called this world a dreary wilderness. For me it blossomed like a rose.
0: Oh, and you see again that this is why Jane and Rochester are so well matched, because mm. you know, Jane wants to have this life with Rochester. Mm. And he's gonna he's able to bring her so much of of what she's not able to do on her own.
1: Yeah, star-crossed lovers. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, yeah, she doesn't has this ability to express herself in in these ways. It's bringing out a whole different side of her. Yeah. Now that she now that she knows that it's not unrequited, she doesn't have to keep it all suppressed. Mm-hmm. Probably very common in the Victorian era.
0: Keeping things suppressed. Keeping
1: things suppressed. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just it's I, it's it's so enjoyable to think like yeah, you you followed this character for two dozen chapters she finally gets the proposal and now she's just soaking it in yeah and you yeah. feel you
0: feel happy for jane yeah
1: you do i mean we, we've been there yeah. ourselves so we yes. know what it's we know what it's like when you first when you first have that moment and uh, yeah it's i'm and Charlotte get-
0: bronte captured it perfectly
1: yeah i'm i'm becoming i'm getting a little softy
0: yeah know. you are you always were romantic <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed our podcast please subscribe and leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform this really helps us grow and reach new listeners. If you want to talk Jane Eyre with me online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at airguide. That's E-Y-R-E.
1: And if you want to hear more from me, I host my own podcast called Out of Touchdown, where my good friend Chad and I discuss all the films that Disney produced for their Touchstone Pictures label. You can also find me on Twitter at Mike DeKalb.
0: Thank you, and farewell for the present.